your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. Seven forty-one, nearly, and former United States President Franklin D. Roosevelt described December seventh, nineteen forty-one, as a date that would live in infamy. But today, December two thousand and sixteen. United States President Barack Obama has said the fruits of peace always outweigh the plunder of war, speaking as he stood alongside Shinzo Abe, Japanese Prime Minister. Not the first Japanese Prime Minister to visit Pearl Harbor, but uh, certainly the first one to do so alongside a United States President and seen as hugely symbolic, an historic gesture described by Obama himself. Let's bring in Pro- Professor Peter Kuznick, of the History Department, also Director of Nuclear Studies Institute at American University. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Glad to be here. So, uh, Pearl Harbor clearly has been a, a hugely significant turning point in World War II. It was, um, I know that you've argued there, there would have been another inevitable trigger to bring the U.S. into the Pacific theater, but it was a major provocation that uh, changed the course of World War II. Um, how significant do you see it as being that, that a Prime Minister like Shinzo Abe is standing there with Barack Obama in 2016? Uh, I think it's important. I think it does help ease the process of reconciliation. Pearl Harbor stands out in American thinking. Uh, Americans always refer to it as the sneak attack at Pearl Harbor. Uh, It was an attack on a military facility, we can't forget. But the Japanese, because of bureaucratic and clerical bungling, had not broken, broken off with the United States and not declared war yet. And so the Americans, it's in some ways an embarrassment to the Americans. American leaders knew that an attack was coming. They didn't think it was coming at Pearl Harbor. They thought it might be at uh, Burma or Malaya or the, uh, the Philippines, uh, uh, even in uh, Indonesia, Dutch East Indies. They didn't think it was coming at Pearl Harbor. So it was a colossal intelligence failure. The Americans had prepared for this, had done some drills beforehand, and knew that such an attack was a possibility. But when it finally occurred, they were really caught sleeping, asleep at the switch. So in that sense, uh, it looms very large in American consciousness. Of course, you know, alongside that, in hindsight, we've got a a number of bombardments during World War II that many historians and many just ordinary people would consider that went beyond the pale, both both in Europe and in in Asia. Also, a a catalogue of abuses on civilians, many of which were imposed upon the Korean people, which is why Shinzo Abe remains a divisive figure, uh, particularly disliked here in Korea, because he doesn't seem to fully grasp the universal significance of Japan's actions. Right, and Shinzo Abe is a right-wing militarist. From the time he got elected to the parliament, one of his big goals was to whitewash Japanese history, the history of Japanese aggression. 
Uh, and that is not only to the United States, but less so to the United States than to the rest of Asia. The reason why I and 52 other scholars wrote an le- open letter to Shinzo Abe was because we wanted him not only to mourn the victims of the attack of Pearl Harbor, we wanted him to deal with the broad scope of Japanese atrocities. There were 2,403 died from the attack of Pearl Harbor. Mm. But the Japanese were responsible for tens of millions of deaths in World War II. And that's not even including the colonization and exploitation of the people of Korea. Uh, Even on Pearl Harbor Day, Americans focused on Pearl Harbor, but the reality was that uh, the attack at Malaya actually began an hour before the attack at Pearl Harbor. And that day, there were attacks on American and British uh, colonies and military bases across Asia. So Pearl Harbor is symbolically the most significant because it got the United States into the war. But the United States had been itching for an excuse to get into the war for some time. As Roosevelt had said to Churchill earlier in Newfoundland, he says, we're going to wage war but not declare it. And so the United States was looking for a pretext. This gave us the pretext mm-hmm. after which Hitler and Mussolini stupidly declared war on the United States. And so the United States had the two-front war it was actually looking for at the time. But we, we, we were saying to, to Abe was talk about the broad range of yeah. Japanese atrocities and aggression and responsibility. Don't just focus on what happened here. And we asked him to go visit China and visit Korea and visit Singapore and visit Malaya and go, you know, all the places, because what we're concerned about, in part, is that Abe has been trying to whitewash, minimize the extent of Japanese crimes of aggression in order to push for a new form of militarization in Japan. And he's had to kind of narcotize the Japanese people or seduce them into forgetting this part of their history in order to allow him to proceed with his militarization policies. Um, There's been uh, an article released in Korea in the last couple of hours implicitly critical of the U.S. State Department for withholding a direct comment on a, on a Japanese cabinet minister's visit to the Yasukuni War Shrine uh, shortly after Shinzo Abe's visit to Pearl Harbor. So, yeah. I mean, even after what might have been a moment for some people to, to praise Abe, we still have his government uh, going to this shrine that honors war criminals. Uh, what, what's your view of that? Well, my view of that is that Abe and the Japanese government have been sending very mixed signals. They talk a good game. If you look at Abe's words at Pearl Harbor, he's talking about peace. He's talking about reconciliation. He's saying all the right things. But at the same time, if you look at his policies, beginning with the Secrecy Act that he passed, that was opposed by 82% of the Japanese public as well as the journalists, you look at his increasing defense sales, military sales overseas, his heightened defense spending, uh, his hardline policy over the Senkaku Dayu Islands with China, but most egregiously, his attempts to uh, do away with Article 9 of the Japanese Constitution. One of the good things that came out of World War II was the Japanese embrace 
of pacifism. And that might have been imposed by the United States, but the Japanese people actually embraced that. Mm. And that's Article 9, which denies Japan the right to have offensive military forces or to engage in war. It says war is banned under this new constitution. But Abe has been trying to undermine that. And now he's got the support in Parliament to do it, but he hasn't been able to persuade the Japanese public to go along with it, so he's been trying to go slowly in that regard. But yeah. his goal is to make Japan what he calls a normal country. And what normal means to him is a militarized nation. But, but also it's yesterday neighbors. we saw a bit of a scuffle in Busan outside the Japanese consulate where some citizens tried um, without authorization from local authorities to, to erect a statue, uh, one of those comfort women or so-called comfort women statues um, that we've seen here in Seoul as well and, and, and in various parts around the world. It's a, it's a young girl. Uh, there's nothing particularly offensive about the statue itself, I, I don't think from anyone's standpoint, but uh, it's what it symbolizes that seems to be offensive to Japan who use that euphemism of, of comfort women that we've talked about so much. What, what do you think about Japanese opposition to these statues in itself? What, why would they have such a problem with uh, the Korean people wanting to honor the victims in this way? What seems a fairly benign way, uh, you know, if, if uh, to a casual onlooker, there's nothing offensive, as I said, about these statues at all. Yes, but to the Japanese uh, right-wingers, the Japanese nationalists, they see this as an attack on the Japanese soldiers. And they think that any kind of criticism of the way Japan waged World War II is a criticism of the emperor and a criticism of the soldiers. And it's, to them, it means that the soldiers would have died oh, a dog's death. Uh, and so and we see a lot of that in other places, too, where you would think that coming to grips, accepting, apologizing for the terrible abuse, not only of Korean, but of Chinese and mm. other, other women by the Japanese military, would be something that should be easily acceptable and it's, it's a shame, it's a blight upon their reputation, but they can put it behind them much more easily if they accept it, apologize, show real remorse, and move on. But that's not the way the Japanese right-wingers and nationalists view it. They, they've been trying, and this is where Abe has been instrumental, they've been trying to downplay right. that, to say that it didn't happen, that all armies do this, that what they did is no worse. But what we know, it was a systematic uh, sexual enslavement. Professor Kuznick, we've got to leave it there, but thank you so much. It's fantastic to have you on the line. Oh, anytime. Thank you. Peter Kuznick there from American University, also uh, co-authored the documentary The Untold History of the United States alongside Academy Award-winning Oliver Stone. You can tweet us your thoughts right now at EFM this morning.